Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Veronica Anderson is an MD, and for her that means many dimensions. She's a surgeon, a mother, a black belt, and a two-time marathon runner here to talk to you about your health, your happiness, and your world. It's wellness for the real world with Dr. Veronica. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to Wellness for the Real World. I'm Dr. Veronica, and I want to talk to you today about a little discussed topic. Now, you're saying we're going to talk about low libido in men, and you're saying, well, you know, there's Viagra and all that, but let me just tell you a little secret. I was reading an article about sex-starved marriages, and most people are led to believe that women are the ones who don't want to have sex and are depriving their husbands. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're also going to talk about the phenomenon now where a lot of women want sex and their husbands don't. And we're going to talk about all kinds of angles of low libido or low sex drive in males. Now, my co-host Russell is out there, and we've been talking about low libido and trying to figure it out. We talk about this in women, and don't worry, people, we're going to have a show talking about this with women, but that's kind of the standard fare. People are always talking about women don't want to have sex, and that's kind of the way it's thought a bit. But that's not the way it seems to be really out there in real life. So what we want to know is, there are a couple questions. Who decides what a low sex drive is? Is it your personal opinion that you have a low sex drive? Or um, is it that you decide you want more sex and but you don't really feel like it? Or is it your partner decides that you have a low libido? First of all, how can we define low libido? Also, Russell says, is it like depression where you may or may not complain of it, but is there really a clinical diagnosis, a true clinical diagnosis that we can come to and say, okay, here are the symptoms, bloom, 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 you qualify as low libido, okay? Um, And so let's talk about some of this. Let's talk about what does this make up? Is this just something that's going on in people's head? Is there something physically going on? Um, Is it all cured by Viagra? Um, and, you know, the lot's been talked about Viagra. Those all came on the market. Are there natural cures to low libido? Are there things happening in our environment that are contributing to low libido in men and maybe even women too? So let's talk about this from a lot of different perspectives. We're going to have, a, as usual, a fun-filled show because I have some interesting guests on with interesting point of views that are going to educate you about low libido and some of the things that you can do about it. Is it all in your head? Is it in your body? What's going on in the bedroom of America today? Is it just that everybody's dysfunctional now and nobody knows what they want? Are men feeling castrated because women are so independent and dominant? Or... Or have you had medical problems? And so because you've had a medical issue, something like a prostate cancer or um, high blood pressure or diabetes, that this is affecting your libido too. And what can we do about it? Even if you have something like a prostate cancer or, um, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, what can you do about the male libido? So first, I'm going to bring on one of my favorite recurring guests who always has former bodyguard of Eminem, wrote a best-selling book about the life of Eminem's shady business, but also has a new book out called Womanizer, The Uncomfortable Truth About Men and Marriage. Now, what I want to also tell you guys is I want you to go to AskDrVeronica.com because, and I want you to friend me on Facebook, fan me on Facebook because Byron and I had this wonderful webinar that we did about 
men getting sex during their marriage. Byron likes to talk about this. Married man, a lot of men complain about not getting sex in their marriage. Men think that sex and marriage are oxymorons. You get a lot before you're married, and once you get married, you don't get it anymore. But we had a frank discussion where we sat for an hour and talked about this phenomena, what men should know about it, and how to solve problems and strategies. And this is a, this is a webinar directed towards both men and women for them to understand each other. It's fabulous. Now, I'm telling you to go to either AskDrVeronica.com or friend me on Facebook, Dr. Veronica IMD, or fan me, Dr. Veronica Anderson, because we play these webinars through Facebook. You can see me and Byron like coming on live TV, frankly talking. We're talking to each other. I'm asking him tough questions. He's answering the questions. And we want you to learn how to improve this, men and women who are married especially. So, Russell, are you there? I am here, Veronica. How are you tonight? I'm great. And so, what do you tell us about your man? Tell us about your take on male low libido, and then we're going to bring in Byron first, and then some of our other guests. So I'm going to let you comment first. Go ahead, Russell. Tell you about my man? Well, <laughs> that's that's for another episode. Um, but I do wonder about this, you know, low libido stuff. I, I, um, I mean, sure, everybody wants to feel, I think male and female, everybody wants to feel, you know, a lot of that go get them kind of feeling. But, but I wonder if this isn't like on another level kind of, um, oh, gee, we should just accept how we feel. And if society wasn't telling us that we're supposed to be wanting sex all the time, or if our partner wasn't telling us that we should be wanting sex all the time, you know, would we be just perfectly content? Is it just, you know, okay not to have such a high libido? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But anyway, yes, we do have the esteemed Byron Williams with us. Byron, welcome to Wellness for the Real World. Hey, how you, you doing? <laughs> Hi, Byron. Hey, Dr. B. How you how doing? You doing? <laughs> good to talk hey, to I'm you good. again. I'm good. Yeah, All right. most definitely. Your take on this low libido. For everybody who's not heard the show, the Viagra monologue, this is when I first met Byron in one of my early shows in radio. You might want to go to the archives and get it because it's a popular show. But Byron, has lots, you have lots to say about this. Make your commentary on why men are not feeling so much like having sex. It seems like the problems aren't in women. We're ready to go these days, and men's aren't. men aren't. What's going on? I think probably because we're tired. We've been waiting on you guys at the finish line forever, so now you guys finally show up, and, hell, now we need a timeout. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it, people are not being realistic, too. You know, I think a lot of times uh, – you got to factor in the recession. People are unemployed. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with sex? For some people, it's actually a great pastime if you're unemployed. They mean you possibly have more opportunities to have more sex. Then for some guys, if they don't have money in their pocket, they don't have a job, that does affect how they feel as a man as far as their sexuality. But for some guys, it don't affect it. But then, too, you know, I hear people talking about, you know, 50 is the new 30. Okay, all right, 50 is the new 30, so you say, but did you give your penis that memo? Okay, <laughs> your penis needs to know that 50 is the new 30. You might look it, you might smell it, you, you might have that swag, but your penis didn't get the memo. And people got to understand, you do get older. You know, that erection that you got at 18, 19, 20, it's not going to be the same erection at 50, you know, I mean, I'm sure it could still, you know, you'd be farming and everything, but, I mean, just, you know, people put on weight. You know, you get older, body parts change, things happen. You know, it seems like the things that should get longer get shorter. The things that are shorter get longer. You know, it's just everything just goes, everything just goes to reverse. So you got to kind of factor that in, too. Okay, I so think let, let, women, me, let me ask you. Let me let me ask you some questions here. You're, you're, you hit two really important topics. You hit the emotional piece. You also hit the physical piece. Let me first ask you about the emotional piece. Men are not feeling so great about themselves for several reasons. Let's say that the, we admit that that's happening in society right now. Men are feeling a little down, and that makes them – not want to be as sexually active. 
However, the problem becomes us women are not feeling the same down. So therefore, what shall we do as women? Are we just supposed to go without because all of a sudden you're feeling down because the job situation is not so great? What do you say to women about that? <laughs> I would tell women to be patient like you, like men have been patient with women for years. Uh, you know, and that's the thing. I think I think when it comes to sex and when it, when a man is on the opposite end of the uh, of the spectrum where he's might he might be going through stress, you know, he you know, he could be just getting over prostate cancer or something like that. It becomes a thing of patience because if you throw the man out with the bathwater, I mean, some people do, you know, most people recover. They're not going to stay depressed forever. They're not going to be sick forever. You know, and then there's other things that guys can do too. You know, there's certain supplements and vitamins that you can take. You know, make sure that you get it clean with your doctor first, but, you know, vitamin E. A lot of people don't know the effects, the effects of vitamin E. Vitamin E is really the first prescribed um, Viagra by urologists to tell guys, hey, look, you're having a problem with an erection, you know, start taking so much vitamin E per day. Okay, let me just ask this. I'm going to give you a a real-life situation. I have an acquaintance who her husband had prostate cancer, recovered from it. She was suffering because they hadn't had sex for eight months. And she didn't want to approach it with him. Okay. Now you're saying, women, you now have to be patient. We've been patient with you. But wow, eight months? You would want to shoot yourself if it had been eight months. So women get where they want to shoot themselves too. I'm just I'm putting that out there on the table for you. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch over because you started talking about the physical piece and people getting older. Same question. Same question I go out. It's known physiologically that as women age, a lot of times they become better sexually. What's a woman to do now? Now I'm ready to go. I've hit 40. And for women, it's always been that the sexual prime was much older than men. My answer for women is go get yourself a boy toy. Now, that might cause some problems in the relationship. (laughs) Comment on that, Byron. Go ahead. Okay, look, Dr. V, let's just, let's just be honest here. That woman turns 40, okay, she might have a good 10, 15-year run. So, you know, it's a 15 years she had a good run, right? She gives up on her man. She goes out there. She samples all the boy toys, you know, in in, in the area. So now the guy finally gets himself together. He gets his swagger back. It's 15 years later. Now she's walking around like the Mahari Desert is all dried up, and he's good to go again. So, we, I mean, so we you, have a show it, come, that it comes back up. again. We have a yeah, show wait. coming up on that. We're not going to have the Mojave Desert and women. <laughs> women, we do have a show coming up on um, menopause and about how to deal with menopause. So sit tight. We're going to talk about that Mojave Desert thing, and I might have to call up Byron just so he, like, takes that back, okay? Hey, <laughs> you know what? I always, say, I always say just add water. Just add water, you know. Any problem can be solved. But I think with guys, I think the biggest problem with guys as they get older, guys don't know how to deal with, it's what's it called, andropause. It's like the male version of, of menopause, you know, uh, you start to get low testosterone, you lose muscle mass, uh, you know, you're not andropause, as active as you yeah. must work. Yeah, andropause, you know, uh, you know just, you're not as active. But see, some guys, it doesn't affect every guy the same way. But if you if you, if you constantly work out, you eat right. You can you can kind of foretell a lot of those type of things by just your health your health uh, habits. Well, I absolutely agree with that. Being able to curtail a lot of this with healthful habits, which need to start younger. The answer to me for a lot of this is the same as it for every other disease known to mankind practically, which is stay physically active, keep yourself well avoid toxins and things like that. So I wholeheartedly agree with that. Now, Byron, I have another guest that they've appeared on together, Rabbi Ed, who's going to come on too. I want to thank you guys. Womanizer, the truth about men and marriage. Byron, the uncomfortable truth about men and marriage. Byron has that. Go to our webinar and watch this because we have a special, we always give away special offers so people can get 
not just you can go buy the book on Amazon. You can do that. But if you listen to the webinar, you're gonna get more than just the book. But you're also gonna get a one hour free approved didactic advice. Byron, do you wanna make a comment about a few of the things we did on this webinar for the audience? Oh, yeah, it was great. I tell you, it was the best interview I've ever done. I've done a lot of interviews. I had a lot of fun. We talked about everything. If you guys haven't seen it, you missed it. We talked about all the taboo topics of oral sex, anal sex, emotions in sex, uh, the male psyche during sex, uh, what women are expected, uh, women in foreplay, women in the lack of foreplay. I mean, we turned over every stone. And if you want to get caught up, you need to go to Dr. Uh, Veronica's website, askveronica.com, get caught up. And I'm telling you, you will laugh and you will be enlightened you will be educated. Yes, and I want everyone to know that Byron is an extremely, extremely, extremely educated, straight-talking person where, I mean, we tag team and he'll talk about it straight like he's walking down the street but with lots of knowledge behind it and then... I'll put some of the medical knowledge behind it so people really understand that what Byron is saying is right, okay? So I just want to tell you again, before we go on to Rabbi Ed, and I'm trying to get Rabbi Ed to do a seminar for me too. He's, he's going to get it together and do this. But on AskDrVeronica.com or on Facebook, I do social media medicine. So I'm coming to you through social media venues. Everybody's on Facebook. It's a, its own country now. Facebook is the new town square. So guess what? Social media medicine is the new way to do things. This is the way you're going to get your care, okay? So, Byron, I want to thank you for being on Wellness for the Real World. And, of course, you know we're going to call you back whenever we get one of these hot mail topics. So thanks, Byron. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Russell? Yes. Well, our next guest, as you mentioned, is Ed Weinsberg, who is... Many things. He is an ordained rabbi. He's a gerontologist. He's an intimacy coach. He's now a certified sexuality counselor. And he's also a prostate cancer survivor. And he's author of the Amazon bestseller, Conquer Prostate Cancer, How Medicine, Faith, Love, and Sex Can Renew Your Life. Rabbi Ed, welcome back to Wellness for the Real World. Thank you very much, Russell and Dr. V. It's great to be back. Hi, Rabbi Ed. Thank you so much. Now, I know that, let me just tell everybody, one of the background, Dr. Ra- Dr. Rabbi Ed is has doctor titles, first of all, as a EDD and a DD and all these other things. He has so many letters behind his name, people. It's just I'm not going to even tell you at all. But he's been a um, rabbi of a synagogue, counseled many couples, but he's also been through prostate cancer himself. And so we're going to talk about, and let me just say, he's a gerontologist, which is somebody that is specializes in knowing what happens to people as they age. So let's talk a minute about low male libido from the point of aging, What's normal? What's not normal? What should people be expecting, Rabbi Ed? I think Byron put his finger on it when he indicated that starting at age 40, men lose uh, their level of testosterone. He didn't mention specifically that it's about 1% of testosterone per year. And go figure, if you're 60, that means you lost 20% of the testosterone you had at the age of 40. So you know you're on the way out as far as your sexual verve is concerned. Now, that's not true of all men, because very often testosterone is so high to start with, uh, you can keep going uh, in terms of the uh, type of sexuality, intimacy, uh, or intimate life you want to pursue. But uh, increasingly with age, uh, that kind of verve does diminish. And I have to tell you that I, as you implied, uh, speak as an insider, not just in terms of my academic training and all that alphabet soup stuff, but because I had prostate cancer, and one of the first things that impacted on me was the surgery itself, which sort of saved my life, but uh, had uh, the kind of trauma that diminished and really eviscerated, uh, totally eliminated my sexual desire. My libido was shot for at least 9 to 12 months following that surgery. It got so bad that my wife was telling me, my God, don't you love me anymore? 
And I said, honey, it's not you. It's I don't look at any women. I, I, I don't feel anything. It's like another leading prostate cancer survivor who happens to be an MD, a urologist himself. He says a friend of his took him to a beach. Uh, it was a topless beach, not just for men, by the way. And uh, <laughs> Benavis said, hey, isn't this great? And the guy said, uh, what, I like the ocean waves, you know. Okay, and so now let me, on, let me uh, figure this out. So, you know, you can lose it. And it's a process of both disease combined with aging that is doubly uh, uh, lethal, if I can use that ex- expression. Okay, so now let, let's explain to the audience a little bit about that because, I mean, First of all, the word cancer strikes fear in everybody who hears it. And then when you say prostate or you say breasts or any of the sex organs, that's like, oh, my God. It's like the worst thing that can happen is to have a cancer and then to have a cancer of your reproductive organs, which is going to affect your sexuality. So for men, that equals prostate cancer. Let us know if, is it, the psychological trauma of it being of your sex organs, or is there something that the surgery and the treatment actually does to you that explains the low libido and the loss of sexual interest? Because you're talking about, you know, normal guy, I had prostate cancer, now I'm going, women don't even look interesting to me on the beach. What's happening there vis-a-vis prostate cancer? Uh, 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 Dr. V, I don't think it's either or. And you know, as a physician, uh, surgery will always have an impact. The question is for how long. Uh, you know, I, I recently had eye surgery, and it only had a minor impact for about, uh, I don't know, a month or two of eye swelling, and that was that. Uh, but when you uh, are operating in the pelvic area, as a urologist will do for someone who does uh, surgery to get rid of a uh, tumor on the prostate, uh, he removes the whole darn prostate, it will impact a man uh, physically to start with, but, of course, psychologically. And I want to get more into the psychological because I think that's the direction we're all pointing to. Physically, uh, it doesn't matter that you have what they call erectile nerve sparing. Sure, most doctors do manage to do Maybe 98% of men end up with nerve spared. But, uh, you know, a lot of stuff has gone on there, even with robotic surgery and uh, the fine-tuning that that allows that I had, and uh, it impacts a man physically. But going with that is the psychological stuff. Uh, And here's the first problem. Whether or not you've had prostate cancer or just feel uh, that or discover you are physically impotent, you forget as a man that that doesn't mean you stop being a potent person. And if you can understand psychologically that impotence refers to how your sexual organs function or don't, but you as a man are still fully functional and you have other, uh, shall we say, parts of the body that are fully functional and can, uh, shall we say, interact or allow you to interact with the person who you want to be intimate with, uh, then you are really doubting yourself, and that ends up being the you end up being your biggest enemy. That ends up being the biggest factor. It took me almost a year with all the knowledge I had, and of course I know a lot more now. I wish I knew then what I knew now because that was four and a half years ago. Uh, and had I known what I know now, I think I would have snapped out of it sooner. What it, what you really have to do is be clear that I or you, whoever is suffering, and this goes for women with breast cancer remains lovable, even if their body part uh, either uh, doesn't function the way it used to or they no longer have breasts if it's a matter of breast cancer or have lost their hair, you're still lovable as a human being. And if you lose sight of that, what happens, it certainly happened to me, is you begin to withdraw and you start uh, feeling that the other person might not accept you and therefore you rather withdraw before they can comment or say anything that uh, you deem uh, adverse or negative. Uh, what you got to do is really dismiss the little boy or the little girl you feel inside, uh, remain a person or become again the person who used to do and who knows he still or she still cares. Uh, I even recommend to people to, to uh, look at yourself in the mirror. I'm, by that I mean take a private moment when no one's looking around, completely undress yourself, look in the mirror and notice that you're not only missing a part or a part of you doesn't function, but look at the parts that still are looking pretty good 
or function. Now, I happen to, I'll give you an example. I happen to be bald, so this wouldn't apply to me. But if you're someone who has a full set of hair, no matter what your age, uh, you could admire it. Or <laughs> oh, yes. Good face, a nice profile, uh, you look handsome. Hey, women notice that if you're a man, if that's the issue. Remember that you're still an attractive human being. See your deficits, if that's what you want to call them, due to uh, disease, injury, or just uh, the aging process. View them in the context of who you are as a whole person. That's what's going to help you get over it. And if nothing else, if you've got nothing else going for you, look in your eyes. Look at the depths of your soul. See yourself as a complete, full human being who still has a lot to offer to the rest of humanity uh, and to individual men and women, men and women in your life. Okay, so now what I want to ask on that side, that's great for someone who's going through it to start to try to still feel that. Um, now, what do you say to their partner? What do you say to women about how to deal with Men who are going through prostate cancer and low libido for all kinds of reasons because all of a sudden you said, your wife said, don't you love me anymore? I have a partner, a very important, we've been physically healthy, a very important part of our life is we love each other deeply, but a very important part of our life is our intimate life, which involves sex. Now you have withdrawn from me. What? How do I deal with that psychologically as the, the the female partner in this. What do I do? Going a year without having intimacy is, you know, women are suffering. Just you're you're suffering yourself, but women are suffering too when this is happening because all of a sudden you're feeling like there's something wrong with me. What do you say to women? It's an outstanding question. I do have a few responses. Uh, first and foremost, it's not only what women should do, it's what they should or should not say. Uh, for example, don't you love me anymore is not going to be getting her big points because it works to uh, incur further guilt on the man's part that he's not doing right by his woman. Uh, saying even uh, what would at first blush be very innocent, constructive things doesn't help either, such as, hey, at least uh, uh, you, you don't have cancer, you're not going to die, and so uh, you, you'll live. At least we have you, even if we can't have sex anymore. That is not what to say. Don't say that, because you're polarizing life or living on with inability or lack of access to sex or sexuality. So that what do we sounds say? like it might be helpful, <laughs> but it's not a good idea to do that, because it's not an either-or proposition. What, what do we say? The kind of thing to say, first and foremost, when a woman begins to notice, as she well does, that a man's withdrawing, is to begin to show some empathy. Empathy, understanding that what's actually happening, at least at first, is a man is in the process of grieving a major loss in his life. Uh, the problem with American men, especially, and men in general, I think around the world, is we define ourselves by a certain standard of what it is to be a man. And for us, so for the vast majority, being a man has uh, at least at first blush to do with what's between our legs and whether it's functioning, whether we can get it up or not. And the moment we can't, we feel less than a man. And when a man feels that way because of an operation that's occurred or because of a stage in life where he's reached where he has andropause or what I like to call man, old pause, you know, uh, then you've got to have uh, compassion for him and understanding and show empathy and say, I feel so bad about your loss. Acknowledge the loss. It's genuine grieving, as if he lost a relative. Honest to God, I, I kid you not. As a rabbi, you know, one of the things I did most often other than weddings is funerals. And I've become an expert at the grieving process. I saw this from the get-go in my studies and my research and writing my book, a lot of articles I write. The fact of the matter is a woman has to acknowledge the loss so that a man and woman can see eye to eye on the problem. Acknowledge the problem. And then you can start accommodating. Once a man has an awareness that you know what's going on inside of him viscerally, not just in his head, but in the whole you know, stomach and his, and, his, and his whole being, then you as a woman can begin to get him to a better place. It's basically consoling him. Essentially, right. is the first step. Yeah. Now, what I want to do. That's great. 
I want to tell people, you hear how wonderful Rabbi Ed is. Rabbi Ed counsels people who have been diagnosed with prostate cancer to help them get through the process and talks to them from this educated but also compassionate survivor way to help them cope. And I have actually referred friends to him, and he's been just fabulous at helping them figure out the lay of the land for his treatment and getting their life back. Rabbi Ed, you can find him on conquerprostatecancer.com or Rabbi Ed, E-D, R-A-B-B-I-E-D.com, conquerprostatecancer.com or rabbied.com. He has a book, Conquer Prostate Cancer, How Medicine, Faith, Love, and Sex Can Renew Your Life. Okay, so I want to thank Rabbi Ed, and I already asked Rabbi Ed to do a webinar with me, so I know, I think his eyes healed now, and maybe he can see well enough to be able to do all these things. But I want you guys to use the resources of people that I have on this show. And Rabbi Ed is one of those people that you want to use, and he wants people to use. This is, he's a rabbi and used to do synagogue stuff. Now this is his ministry, helping men with prostate cancer and things like low libido stay whole, but also helping their communication and their relationships. So Rabbi Ed, I want to thank you for your words of wisdom. I got to move on. We're going to get a little bit more medical now because we're going to move on to an MD who's a urologist. Thank you so much, Rabbi Ed. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Russell? Yes. As promised, we have with us here Dr. Michael A. Werner. He is a urologist here in New York City. He has a state-of-the-art private practice limited to male sexual dysfunction and infertility. He is also a frequent contributor to bettersexblog.net. And Dr. Werner, we're glad to have you with us on Wellness for the Real World. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. Yay! See, I'm a a Western-trained doctor, so I never forget my colleagues who I think have wonderful things to do for people. Sometimes we miss the boat a little bit, and that's why we have the Rabbi Ed to help us. But tell us what you encounter most in practice with men coming in with low libido. What The men come in and complain to you, I just don't feel like doing it anymore. And they don't necessarily have cancer. What's generally going on in these men? Right. So the, the, it's, it's underestimated how many men really have low libidos. And it's very devastating in general for a relationship because in this culture particularly, we have this, well, actually in most cultures, is that the men should always want to have sex, which actually isn't true even if you have a normal libido, um, and that uh, in general men should want to have sex more than women. So it's devastating for a marriage if um, you know a woman doesn't want to have sex or doesn't want to have very much sex or enough sex, but if a man doesn't want to have sex, then it really throws a wrench into things because he feels badly about himself, just like the rabbi was saying, in terms of the way he feels as a man, and it basically, the woman feels rejected and unattractive and and unloved. So it really becomes a very big deal. Um, But a good part of my practice is made up of men with low libidos. Um, Many of the other symptoms that men can have if they have low testosterone would be uh, poor erections, low energy level, um, poor mood, poor muscle mass, um, osteoporosis, um, and so we see a lot of medical issues that come with the low testosterone uh, as well. Okay, so now low testosterone is—is is there a—is there a definition of that? Is it something that you go to the lab, you get in, and oh my God, here's the cutoff? Yeah, it's a very interesting question, and it's still being debated because it's a relatively new field. Um, if you look at the total testosterone, um, basically. Uh, the criterion now for kind of an obvious uh, low testosterone would be 300 or below. Um, but the real interesting question is, what did someone start at, you know, 25 years ago? Did he start off with a really high testosterone and now he's at 400 and he feels lousy? Um, or, you know, there's some people who walk around and they feel pretty good with a 200. So it is <laughs> both an abs- you know, there's, you look at the absolute number, but you have to kind of put it into a context, which we don't really understand at this point. Uh, but we do do it by a combination of symptoms and by, you know, blood levels. 
So if a guy comes in with a lot of symptoms um, of low testosterone and he's running a 370, you know, I'll treat him. If a guy comes in and he feels great and his testosterone is 290 and he doesn't have any medical issues, then I won't treat him. You know, so it really just, uh, it's a combination of lab values and and symptoms. Okay. Now, I'm going to switch over just a little bit because this is something that's common among people and it's not talked about loudly a whole lot. Male in infertility, infertility yep. going on in men. How common, it seems like now we're starting to discover a lot of um, infertility between couples is male-related. Right. What are you seeing in your practice, and what are some of the most common causes, and is this related also to how men feel about their sexuality? I'm infertile. Or I don't know that I'm infertile, but I just don't feel like having sex, and then later on I find out I have quote unquote infertility, however you define that for men. Okay, so let's uh, let's start with the the kind of the incidents. Or so basically, about 15% of couples will have infertility um, or subfertility, which is defined as having unprotected regular relations for a year and not conceiving. Um, and we'll often use for women 35 or more, usually six months, because we'd like to jump on it a little bit more quickly. So of that 15% of couples, when you look at it broadly, 40% of the time you'll find a female factor, 40% of the time you'll find a male factor, and 20% of the time uh, you'll find a combination of the two. So it's pretty prevalent, prevalent, and, it, and the percentages really haven't been changing uh, that much over the years. Um, the next question you had was, you know, what are the common causes? Um, yes. So the most common cause we actually see are varicoceles, uh, which, you know, when we say common reversible causes, which are dilated veins in the scrotum. So you've seen people with varicose veins in their legs. Um, same idea, but this is in the scrotum. We don't know exactly why that has a negative effect on sperm production and quality, um, but when we fix them, we know that you know there's a significant improvement in two-thirds of the patients. Um, other causes can be a hormonal, which we'll come back to, uh, infectious, immunologic, um, and genetic. So those are those are your main categories for male infertility. Okay. Um, so bottom line about that is, people, if you're having trouble. It's, it's half female, half male, so both people really have to get checked for this. There's been lots of lights shined upon women in, in the infertility and things like that. Now, one, one comment I want you to make about um, fertility, for women, there's a big deal made based on age. A couple of weeks ago, I did a show on midlife maternity, <laughs> okay, which is coming more and more common. Right. We've all been led to believe that men, no matter what age they are, it's, everything's fabulous with fertility. Comment on that. Right. So, it, Well, there is no um, – at a certain point, women will reach a point where virtually – well, all, none of them will be able to conceive at a certain age, you know. Um, and it's certainly, there's, you know, there's rapid drop-offs at, at certain ages, and all women will go through menopause. Um, with men, um, there are men who are in their 80s who can conceive. You know, the way, especially with the new technologies, you really only need a few sperm in order to achieve a pregnancy. Um, as men get older, it's as both men and women get older, you know, the incidence of genetic abnormalities increases. Uh, it increases, again, more rapidly uh, for women, but there are absolutely, you know, increased chances of having genetically abnormal kids um, for older men as well. Uh, so it's not like you've got to get to age with complete uh, impunity as we get older. Okay, uh, older, older. you got to define what that means because we're saying 50 is the new 30. When you say the word older... Give us a a, um, a, a a age range of what you mean. Well, that's a, the the issue is that it's really a curve. There are no real cutoffs as there are for women. Um, so yes, there are men who stay fertile their entire lives, um, and it's just that our sperm counts uh, start going down um, probably in our in our mid twenties. Um, but people stay fertile for a very long time. The men do. And is a drop-off in fertility in men associated with the libido dropping off? Is it Are the curves on top of each other? Not, not exactly, because you can – I mean, there are men who have great libidos and absolutely no sperm, and vice versa. 
but it is true that both are happening kind of simultaneously. Ah, okay. You can't really say that they're they're causal. I mean, the testes are failing, and they're failing both in terms of testicular sperm production and in terms of testosterone production. Okay. Very informative. <laughs> okay. So, where if people want to find things that you do, I know you do bettersexblog.net. If people want to just find Dr. Michael, where yeah, so, can we find you? Um, so, it's uh, Werner, W-E-R-N-E-R-M-D uh, dot com is my main website. Um, and uh, that's probably the easiest way to find us. Yes. Now, let me just comment. Um, Dr. Werner is a New York doctor, and I-, I trained in New York at Mount Sinai Hospital, and I just remember all the New York doctors, and people used to fly around the world to see him, see them. So Dr. Werner is probably like this, too, and I see he has offices, like, all over the all over the universe, so I don't know how he does this. But this is what us doctors do. <laughs> we go all over the place because we love helping people, and I'm sure that's why Dr. Werner is doing this. Um, so, Dr. Werner, I want to thank you. If you want to contact him, WernerMD.com. Look for his writing on bettersexblog.net. Dr. Werner, thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay, Russell, is that you making the noise about to introduce our next guest? <laughs> yes, you you heard me getting ready. <laughs> uh, yes, our next guest is a natural health expert here with us, and uh, uh, she has uh, uh, some interesting information uh, that can throw a little more light on why men have sexual libido issues. Suzanne, welcome to uh, Wellness for the Real World. Thank you, Russell. Hi, Dr. Veronica. Nice Hi, to be Suzanne. Here. Now, how are you? I, Russell and I were having some pre-show talk about some of the topics that you're going to talk about. I'm not. We've I've talked about these before with other people about some of the things in our environment and in our lives that are causing some problems in men. So why don't you get right into what you know about low libido in men and some of the environmental factors that are affecting our men. Yes, certainly. What we're talking about are chemicals that are known as endocrine-disrupting chemicals. So these are man-made or synthetic chemicals which, when absorbed into the body, will mimic our own natural hormones or they can block them. And these can be many times more potent than what our body naturally produces. So when we're looking at low libido, we're talking about low testosterone. And these chemicals are estrogenic. They are synthetic estrogens which build up and accumulate in our body stores. They're found in the food, in the air. Uh, There's things such as pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, found in water, uh, plasticizers, like we've all heard about BPA and plastic bottles, that's an endocrine disruptor, detergents, even some drugs such as DES, uh, Tagamet and Zantac are known to uh, affect some with a low sperm count. So when we start talking about underlying causes, it's very important to be aware of these chemicals and what they can do because we are bombarded by toxic chemicals from conception to death, basically. I wanted to bring up for your listeners a very landmark study in 2004 by the Environmental Working Group they had tested the umbilical cord blood of 10 newborns, and they did an unprecedented 413 industrial and consumer product chemicals. In their blood, they had found 413, of the 413 tested, 287 of them. 180 of which cause cancer or birth defects. Some of the chemicals they found were pesticides, PFOA, this is perfluorooctanoic acid, better known as Teflon, flame retardants, 
Wow. And these are all endocrine disruptors. So now let me ask you a really important question. We're hearing all the things that can cause problems. And when I listen to them, okay, I like to be careful about what I do in life. But I feel like I'm, I cannot avoid all these things. I just feel like it, it's useless because how am I going to avoid all these things? They're just all around me, all in my life, and there's no way for me to protect myself from all of these toxins. So what do I do? That's my question well, that's- for you. These are all over the place besides lobby the government, which is going to take years. What can we do in our everyday life to try to decrease these toxins? Well, that's a, that's the most important question because the fact that we are bombarded by these chemicals, first of all, we need to be aware that they exist so that as far as it depends on us as individuals, we can make better choices. For example, we don't have to use toxic pesticides in our home and on our lawns when non-toxic effective ones are available. We can choose to, as far as available, eat organic food that is not sprayed with possibly endocrine-disrupting chemicals. We can be proactive uh, by being an example of healthy living and certainly sharing. I was thinking of children when you asked that question. Uh, An informed parent can certainly make uh, time to visit the school or the daycare and bring up these things because the more people are educated and aware, the easier it is to affect changes. And little children are certainly far more vulnerable by virtue of their size, of their uh, quicker respiration and playtime on the floor where they're exposed to chemicals. So okay, it's really... Now, I, um, um, I, be aware and try to reduce them. Let me just ask one question that I could tell you. Here's a question that bothers me in my life. I like to drink water. I'm always on the go. I'm using the plastic bottles. Um, everybody says use the other, you know, the, carry your own, all this other type of stuff. I just, the way my lifestyle works, all the different places I am, I'm always just grabbing the water bottle out of the package. Is Are those kind of plastics hurting us? Well, um, you know, since there is an awareness, if it doesn't have the BPA, then it should say so on the bottle. But mentioning water, I think it's important when you're looking at what we're drinking Um, Just this past Saturday, I saw an article in the Chicago Tribune about the drinking water there, and basically there was not only hexavalent chromium showing up, that was 11 times more the standard of what California has established for that being in the water, and as your listeners are probably familiar with Aaron Brockovich's movie yeah. about the toxic uh, hexavalent chromium, but they found sex hormones, drugs, pesticides, and the drinking water, and flame retardants, which are endocrine oh, uh, disruptors. So, you know, what do we do? Well, if we own a home and can put in a, a reverse osmosis system, for example, then we could fill a glass bottle and take it along or a stainless steel bottle and take it along. Uh, At least filtering the water is the first step. But is bottled water, even in a plastic bottle, better than tap water? Um, Again, if you're really interested in having it be as healthy as can be, it's always good to call the 800 number and find out for yourself what their filtration process is or get online. Um, you know, we should make some accountability happen with uh, what we're consuming and what products we're buying. Hmm. Yes, it's true. So, Suzanne, Mar- is it Marone or Maroney? Marone. Marone. Okay, well, let me make sure I got it. Suzanne Marone. 
naturalhealthchat.com is how people yes. can find you, naturalhealthchat.com. Susan Marone, I want to thank you for all the eye-opening information. I want people to know that I'm thinking about you out there. I think about these things all the time in my life. I'm trying to figure out how do I decrease my toxins and should I be picking water bottled water. I mean, I think about these things practically every day. I know everyone else doesn't do it. And I think about it and talk about it because I feel it's my duty to do so because I have the bully pulpit here and I want to be able to be an advocate for people to be healthier. I don't want everybody to have to walk around thinking about these things every day. So I want the government to know that we're mad that you're allowing these things to happen. I'm mad that in Chicago these things are happening. It is not fair. Drinking water is something we all need. It is a human need. Chicago needs to get it together. And people in Chicago, you need to know that this is going on and start writing your legislator and being noisy because if your food and drink is not good, your whole body, your brain, your children, your everything's not going to be good. If you wonder why you can't have children, it might be because the government is allowing chemicals in the system that are affecting your fertility. Okay, so Suzanne Marone, I want to thank you. i got to move on to my next guest because he also has some interesting things to say. Russell first, though. Russell has an interesting story to tell, and we're going to try to expedite that story. But go ahead, Russell. (laughs) Well, yeah, I just thought I'd share with you guys. Um, Here we are talking about uh, testosterone and stuff, and I actually, I take testosterone. I have been taking testosterone. Wow. Well, see, you thought you knew everything about me, but <laughs> I'm still full of surprises. Um, I started about seven or eight years ago um, because I have another medical condition, which is totally separate, that, that uh, tends to lower testosterone. And one day my doctor said to me, you know, you have low testosterone, you might think about doing this. And um, I you know, thought about it. I wasn't complaining about anything. I didn't feel I had low libido or anything like that. Um, He did warn me, uh, okay, now if you start getting testosterone treatment, be aware um, you'll probably have to do it the rest of your life because once you get treatment, um, your own testosterone production tends to gradually shut down. So I decided, okay, I'll go ahead and... um, I thought, oh, boy, look out, New York City. Russell's going to have a rocket in his pocket. He's just going to be flying. Um, So I started the testosterone, and, um, you know, the one comment I have to make about my own experience is I did not notice a real change in my libido or my sex drive. Um, What I did notice was, wow, I felt basically kind of five years younger. I felt I was in a better mood. I felt more confident. When I sat down to work, I could focus and really work. When I went to sleep at night, I would sleep really well. I, a million little aches and pains went away. Um, it certainly, uh, you know, I can see, yeah, these hormones are, are a real thing. Now, I do have to say... Uh, I get a shot in the butt every two weeks. You know, there are gels also, you know, which are another option. The way I get it every two weeks, I do notice an arc. Um, those, the first day or two after my shot, I have to watch it because I can be short-tempered. <laughs> and I can be, uh, really, and I can overreact to situations. Um, God help you if you cut me off in traffic because you'll get the finger and a lot of ripe language. And that's not, you know, that's not the baseline me. So I've learned I have to kind of watch myself. It's kind of my own little PMS every two weeks, I guess. Mm, got it. So now, anyway, it's not always testosterone, to... though. It's not always testosterone. And we have a guest that's going to tell us it's not always testosterone. So I want to bring on him so Russell, uh, like a, a twenty, a fifteen-second intro, so we can get him on. Yes, Dr. Jim Ochiogrosso is with us. Uh, he is a naturopath, and he has a website, healthnaturallytoday.com, and he's author of a book called "Your Prostate, Your Libido, Your Life." Dr. Jim, welcome. Hi, glad to be here. 
Dr. Jim, thank you for being on Wellness for the Real World. Now, you say everybody always thinks it's low testosterone, but it's not. Um, what do you say about this low libido situation? Well, uh, there are many hormones in the body uh, that are crucial to good health. Testosterone is one of them, but uh, uh, it really the most important thing is the balance between them. As men age, uh, naturally their testosterone levels tend to uh, drop, uh, but at the same time their estrogen levels tend to uh, increase. And because of this increase, uh, this, the balance uh, between testosterone and estrogen changes, and this is uh, often what causes the, uh, the loss of libido and uh, can sometimes be a player in erectile dysfunction. Okay. You also mentioned some other things, common things that are like vitamins today in, in America, antidepressants. Talk a bit about that. Oh, yeah. Antidepressants are, uh, are a serious issue as far as um, um, hurting uh, testosterone production. Uh, they also have a uh, big effect on uh, erectile dysfunction, uh, both antidepressants and uh, uh, what's the other drug? Uh, blood pressure-lowering drugs have a serious effect on uh, a man's libido and his <clears throat> erectile function. Uh, I know, you know, several of my clients have had that problem, and the minute they either changed their antidepressant or got off it completely. Uh, they found that they, their libido came back and most of their erectile function came back. Okay, now let me ask a question about that because one of the symptoms of depression itself is low libido, lack of sex drive. So how do you know which is first, the chicken or the egg, when we're talking about depression, antidepressants, and low libido? Uh, this is a rather tricky issue. Uh, I recently wrote an article uh, entitled... Uh, could dad's mental decline be due to low testosterone levels? And it tends that with older uh, older men particularly, uh, it's pretty rare when a man starts having cognitive issues, uh, say a 75 or an 80-year-old man, that uh, his doctor will go out and actually check his testosterone levels. And in many cases, if they do test the testosterone levels, they do a blood test, which just tests total testosterone. Uh, unfortunately, total testosterone doesn't really tell you anything but because what really does the work in a man's body is the free testosterone level. So it's very important to test both, uh, to really test free testosterone rather than to test total testosterone. Ah, uh, okay. But bottom line is uh, in a lot of instances, a low level of testosterone can cause depression, and then a man is put on an antidepressant, which further reduces his testosterone. It's like a vicious, uh, a vicious circle. You know, it just keeps going, uh, spiraling downward. Yes. Now, what I want to ask before we get to the last one minute is, I know you're a master herbalist. Can you give a few natural substances that men may try to to boost their libido? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, probably the most uh, the most prominent one is uh, an herb called tribulus. Uh, there's another one called, uh, I don't remember the name of it off, off the top of my head, but uh, tribulus is one. Um, ginkgo biloba is another one. That helps with circulation. Uh, we have a, uh, a testosterone cream that we use, an herbal testosterone cream. That's available on my website. And uh, that has been very successful at bringing a man's testosterone level up. Uh, but like uh, Russell was saying, after a while it stops working. And it's not because the man's testosterone production shuts down. It's just that he doesn't respond to this cream anymore. And at that point, he's got to go on prescription testosterone. Okay. But so, up to that point, he can do without it. All right. So so what you're saying is that you try to manage people as much as possible with natural things or outside-the-body things, but then you do realize that there's a time where the best thing is to do is to use uh, a prescription medication. Yeah, yeah. It does. It, typically, what I've found in in my practice, uh, for many men, it seems to be about five to seven years that they can get along with the herbal testosterone cream before they actually have to go to prescription. And usually, what we do, we have saliva, salivary hormone tests, and we can, you know, maybe once a year or once every eighteen months, run a hormone test on them. And uh, 
you know, see what their hormone levels are. When their testosterone levels doesn't come up anymore, that's the time they need to get to a prescription cream. Yes. Now, I want to thank you, Dr. Jim. Go to his website, healthnaturallytoday.com. There are many reasons for low libido in men. There are many ways to treat it, many things for you to think about. And I want to thank all my guests today because we've gotten so much information. And I want to encourage you to go to my website, drveronica.com. I have all these people, if they choose to, write guest blogs so that you can read a little bit more about what they're talking about. So every you get to see every, you get to hear them, then you get to see them in writing, and then a lot of them we end up doing our webinars to teach people how to live their life better. So ask drveronica.com, drveronicaimz on Twitter. Wellness for the real world. I want to thank all my guests. Next week, cancer cured naturally. We're going to talk about natural cancer cures. See you soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.